So today the reading is um, 1 Timothy, and it's chapter 4, and that can be found on page 1193 of the Church Bible. So that's 1 Timothy 4, uh, 1193 of the Church Bibles. The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be in a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teachings that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Thank you, Anna. Uh, let us pray before we start, shall we? Holy Spirit, as we look at this passage, help us to... Uh, understand it better, help us to know you better, help us to know your will for us better, and help us to love you more. Amen. Amen. Well, three-point sermon, that's nice and easy, isn't it? isn't it? Watch out, work out, and wear out. But before we get into those three points, uh, just a few little uh, recap points, really, for those who haven't been following us through this series. So this letter, you might remember, is written uh, to the Christians in the church in Ephesus. 
Uh, and uh, Timothy is their youngish leader. He's probably in his 30s. Uh, and the thing about this church that's so special for our purposes is that it was in a complete mess. And we've heard in previous sermons uh, kind of factors creating that mess. But there's one very particular issue tonight that we're going to be looking at. Um, and that is that other church leaders, respectable people in the church, uh, were preaching nonsense. Uh, that's not quite the technical word, but it's not far off. Uh, they were hearing a lot of untruths. Which means, I guess, that as we look at a letter like this, uh, it is still relevant to us, even though it's addressed to this guy called Timothy. Timothy was a young leader, uh, and maybe lots of folk here aren't in leadership roles. Well, that doesn't mean to say we won't be one day, does it? So this letter is written to us whether we're a leader or whether we're a not, or, or, or whether we look at folk who are leaders and see what we should expect, or actually it's simply stuff that any of us should be following. So this is a letter that's relevant because of our situation. It's relevant for us personally. And although it's written to Christians, I would say that if you're not a Christian, this is an important passage tonight. Because it's really important, if you're thinking about the truth of Christianity, that you kind of clear what you're signing up to. And this is a passage that helps us do those things. Now, you might have noticed as we read through that there's all sorts of little niggles and interesting things scattered through this passage. Um, verse 1, for instance... Uh, Paul talks about the Spirit clearly saying something. You think, well, did he? Uh, or, or verse 9, this is a trustworthy saying. You say, well, what, which is the trustworthy saying? Verse 14, it talks about Timothy's gift. You think, well, what gift is it? Um, and the answer is, I don't know. So we're not going to dwell on those. You could spend the whole of your small group time discussing those. It won't necessarily help you that much understand the passage. Uh, because the thrust of the passage is pretty clear. And it is these three points we've got up here. It is, as Christians, we watch out, we work out, and we wear out. So it's a bit negative, but it began with W. Okay. So those are the, the, the three things. Um, here's a picture. That's not a picture. That's not a picture. You got one up there? My clicker is not working. Good job we haven't got many. Can you click it on? Oh, not that one, that one. There we are. Now, I have been told not everybody can see pictures, so feel free to move to the front. There's plenty of places down here uh, if you can't see the picture uh, from the back, if, if that's a problem for you. Um, there are spaces here. Um, this, is, uh, this is a 17th century Dutch landscape. It's the closest I could get to Germany, Julianne. Um, and, uh, and it's called the Watchtower. And, uh, in fact, it's called the Square Watchtower. Apparently, a Square Watchtower is un unusual. Uh, and you might just be able to see on the left-hand side, there's a boat drawing up, uh, and, and that's some soldiers getting up uh, out of the boat. And they're going on duty into the Watchtower to protect their country. Uh, and, and Holland uh, was under all sorts of attack. It could have been attacked uh, by the British, because we were busy beating up everybody in those days. Uh, it could have been attacked uh, economically, by a lot of smuggling going on through the creeks and the rivers, or they just built all the dikes and the canals and all the rest of it, and the flood defences could have all been overwhelmed. So it was really important 
that these watchtowers were manned and people were keeping a lookout for trouble. And that is the big theme of verses 1 to 5 of our passage tonight. Watch out. First one, Paul says, uh, in later times, uh, which is nowadays effectively, uh, the Spirit clearly says some will abandon their faith. Paul's telling us to look out for that. So don't be surprised. It's sad. And we've experienced that pain personally, haven't we? Yeah. But Paul says, don't be surprised. People do give up. But also what he says here is they effectively reinvent the gospel. And people are going to come up with new versions of gospel truths. Uh, nowadays, we have a word for that. Those of you who do history, you'll have that word revisionism. And we have revisionist gospels. We have revised gospels. But notice what Paul says here. Verse 2, he says, these folk who preach this sort of stuff are hypocritical liars, and they're following deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. And we tend to take these sort of disputes in churches, you know, differences of opinion. Well, fundamentally, Paul's saying when it distorts the truth of the gospel, this is demonic. So we're to look out. We're to look out for respectable church leaders who are teaching us wrong stuff. Now, what was the wrong stuff? Well, verse 3 gives you a clue. Well, no, not a clue. It tells you, doesn't it? Uh, it's all about eating habits and being celibate. It's all about what you eat uh, and how you behave yourself. And Paul says, well, that's just plain wrong. He says in verse 4, look, Christians are supposed to enjoy the good things of this world. God has given them to us. He says they're okay if they're consecrated by the word of God. You know, if the Bible says it's okay, it's okay. And if we can enjoy it with a clear conscience, if we enjoy it with thanksgiving. So do you see what's happening there? Paul is taking something that's fundamentally untrue and he's rebutting it, he's arguing it against it using scripture. So the question is, are we being misled today? Do we, what do we need to look out for? What's on the, uh, on the agenda? Well, there aren't many bishops going around telling us at the moment that we have to be celibate vegans. So that is not one sort of teaching generally that we're having to worry about. But there is plenty out there, isn't there, that is wrong teaching that we are told to look out for. And the number one teaching that I'm going to suggest we look out for because it's so seductive was I think coming over loud and clear during the coronation service lots of wonderful things in the coronation service wasn't it but you would go away from watching that sort of event and you would think well God is a sort of King Charles type figure who sort of loves everybody uh, and as long as we can all join together and live in sort of brotherly harmony then that's fine. And actually, all faiths contribute to that, and that's all lovely. Well, that is what verse 7 here, Paul says, that's a godless myth. Uh, an old wives' tale, that's slightly unkind nowadays, isn't it? I realise I'm married to an old wife. But... <laughs> just, just had to see if you were awake. <laughs> 
But uh, anyway, a better translation might be, uh, might be a, you know, a silly tale or something like that. The Bible is very clear, isn't it? It says there is only one way to God, and that is through repentance and trust in Jesus. We just sung, no other name can save but Jesus. Acts 4, 12, there is salvation in no one else. Verse 10 here says God wants to save everyone, but especially, but really, the only folk who can be saved are those who believe. And that way of thinking that we're all about just love and harmony and God loves everybody leads on to the other dangerous teachings which we're all so well aware of at the moment, which is where we're saying that God's got it wrong in his word about sexual relationships. Uh, And folks saying that sinful behaviour can somehow be overlooked or it can be redefined, that we can get together and redefine what the Bible says. Well, that too, in Paul's terminology, is a deceptive lie. And Luke 13, Jesus says, unless you repent, you will die. So we do have false teaching, distortions of the gospel with us. And we need to watch out. In fact, we do more than watch out. Verse 7, do you see? Paul says, have nothing to do with them at all. Don't waste your time on them. You might say, we've already done that too much. And particularly if you're thinking about the claims of Christianity, what the Bible says, make sure you're hearing the truth. Now, question is, uh, how do I make sure uh, I hear the truth? And, And you've begun to get a sense of that in this passage, haven't you? Paul keeps referring to knowing God's word. He talks about it being revealed by the Spirit, verse 1. He talks about knowing the truth of the faith in verses 3 and 5. He talks about the word of God. So when we're watching out, our reference point is always going to be the word of God. And that's what we were doing just now, weren't we? Using Bible verses to say this, this teaching is just wrong. But we don't just know Bible verses, do they? They don't just pop into our head. Uh, we have to work at it. I can try clicking again. I'll just ask you to push a button. and Let's, uh, let's move on. Yeah, there we go. Uh, not such an artistic picture. It's Brighton Marathon. Nigel's in there somewhere, I expect. Um, Battle of Marathon, famous for its running. Um, I, I got bogged down preparing this sermon, watching YouTube videos about the Battle of Marathon, which was a bit of a waste of time, quite interesting. But a huge amount of running going on. Running with the news of the battle, running to Sparta to get reinforcements, running to attack the Persians, and all sorts of stuff. Greeks, very big on running. And that's kind of why Paul uses that idea of physical exercise to make his next big point. Verse 8. Paul says, physical exercise, physical fitness is good for the moment, but godliness is good forever. And then he picks up a little bit what we were looking at last week. What does godliness look like? Verse 12, it'll show in our speech, our conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. We're not going to dwell on that, but that's certainly a list to reflect on, isn't it? That may be something in small groups, just to share amongst yourself, a little MOT, how are we doing? But Paul's main focus here is on that we spend time keeping fit, but are we spending time keeping spiritually fit? Once upon a time, I took up running. I have to say, it is the most boring, mind-dumbing exercise I can imagine. 
trying to hoof my way round the park. I cannot imagine how people do 24 miles of it. I gave up very, very quickly. But it is important, isn't it? It's important we try and keep fit. Paul says, okay, but it's much more important, much more important that we keep ourselves spiritually fit, and especially when there are so many distortions of what the gospel is all about going on out there. And how do we do that? Well, verse 6 talks, talks about being nourished. Uh, there's a bit of an argument about that translation, about uh, being nourished, because it's kind of got a sense of being, being fed, but also being trained in or equipped in. So we're equipped, we're trained in the truths of the faith and in the good teaching. So in other words, Timothy is expected to know his Bible. Not just reading it, but he's listening to good teaching as well. They're going to go together. Um, And in fact, you get the same pattern in verse 13, I think, don't you, where you get the public reading of Scripture and preaching and teaching. You know, we can read the Bible, but we don't always get it, do we? We need someone to help us uh, understand it. And that means if we're taking the Bible seriously, we will need that help. Uh, so we, we, we've talked about them here before, the use of things like Bible notes and apps and all that sort of stuff. Um, if that's something you've never tried, uh, there's a whole part of them at the back uh, for you to take away. Some you can pay for, they've got prices on, but some are free. So if you've never tried reading the Bible, using a a, a reading aid, using some Bible notes, uh, this is a great opportunity just to pinch something from the back. You can pretend you're a shoplifter. It's very exciting. Uh, And uh, see how you get on with them. Just just give it a go. And, of course, you might not be a great reader. I mean, it's very heavy on on reading, isn't it? Not all of us are comfortable uh, reading. Um, Did you notice that in verse 13, Timothy talks about the public reading of Scripture, which kind of implies to me that the, uh, the Ephesians weren't great at reading either, uh, but they were good at listening. So if you're not a great reader, then do, um, do listen. Do, uh, do get, whatever you get, apps or whatever, uh, to have Scripture read to you. But rather than go on about notes and all that stuff, I thought maybe, just think about a different perspective on reading the scripture that I certainly found helpful. Uh, and these are two suggestions from two authors from very different um, situations. And you are absolutely free to disagree with them or me on this, but I found this helpful. Firstly, there's Bernard of Clairvaux, who you all know well, I'm sure, uh, sort of 11th century monk. Um, he was a good man, but his advice was that when you're reading the Bible, don't start with the difficult bits. I couldn't find the letter that he wrote, but he wrote a letter and he actually set out which books to read in which order. And he says, well, start with something that you can manage, something like the Gospels. Start with the Gospel, not John. Start with the Gospel. Read that. If you come across something that's too difficult, well, just park it and and keep reading. And he says, start with the Gospels and then build up through the more complicated books. He says, actually finish with the Song of Songs. So start with the simple stuff and end up, he says, reading the Song of Songs. Um, And then a thousand years after him, um, Philip Yancey comes along and he says something a little bit similar. He says, look, you need to read the Bible, but to understand it, 
He says, try reading or perhaps watching good stories. He says, look at stories that are going to involve you emotionally in the tales of grace and redemption. He says, because commentaries are never going to engage your emotions. Use good authors. So he talks about reading Tolstoy and C.S. Lewis and Tolkien. Now, I have to admit, I hate hobbits. So I am not a fan of hobbits. I think they carry TB probably, but never mind. Authors like that, books like that, can help us. They can help us understand the truths of the faith. They can help us get involved emotionally. Very, very different ideas, but ways to help us inhabit and nourish ourselves on the truth of the scripture. It's exactly what Nick was doing this morning, actually, as he read that poem from Shelley, just giving us that little sense of what's going on. So here we go, third picture coming up with any luck. This is Wear Out. If you can see who the artist is, I can't quite remember who it is. Uh, this is on sale now, £495 from a gallery in New York. I don't know what the dollar price was. Um, but this goes with my final point, Wear Out. Uh, and for reasons uh, which may or may not be clear, uh, the painter called this picture devotion. And that is exactly what Paul talks about at the end of this passage. Look at, look at some of the words in this final section of the passage. So he has verse 13. He says, devote yourself to reading and teaching. Verse 14, he says, don't neglect your gift. Verse 15, be diligent, give yourself. Verse 16, persevere. We are to wear ourselves out, if you like, in making sure we stick close to God's word. And Timothy seems to have persuaded his church to do that. Because if you fast forward about 20 years later, Jesus writes to the church in Ephesus, and he says, well done. You persevered. You've not grown weary. Timothy obviously took Paul's advice. The trouble is persevering is hard work, isn't it? Difficult. Say my running career, I mean, it lasted uh, more than 20 months, let alone 20 years, like uh, the, the church did here. And we're tempted to give up, and sometimes our efforts are really feeble, aren't they? This is my feeble effort. This is, for some years, best I could really manage was reading the, um, the one-year Bible uh, on the loo in the morning before the children woke up. Uh, in fact, somewhere in here, there's a note from my darling daughter saying, Father Brown, um, one, shall not, one should never read the word of the Lord whilst on the loo. So, there we are. That was uh, my daughter's advice. I don't think it was very good, really. But sometimes we do struggle to keep going, don't we? And if you take this passage today simply as a list of do's and don'ts, of be diligent, persevere, then actually you are going to be tempted to give up. It's just going to feel like a slog. And I wonder whether that is actually what happened in Ephesus. Because if you read that letter to the church in Revelation 2, Jesus says, yes, you persevered. But then he says, you have lost your first love. You've lost your first love. 
And the artist said she called this picture devotion because she filled it with passion. Now, you, whether you agree with that, I don't know. But she said the colours are passionate, the brushstroke is passionate, and it's laid on really thickly. She wanted to convey passionate devotion. And that is what God's love is for us, isn't it? It's passionate. And that is actually why Bernard of Clairvaux said to his readers, leave Song of Solomon to last. Because it's, it's a, a very passionate, it's an erotic book that just tries to capture God's love for us. It's why Yancey says something similar. So we spend our time looking at God's word, not because we've got to pass some sort of exam, it's GCSE season and we've got to do a Bible exam. We spend our time because we want to understand the person we're going to spend the rest of eternity with. And we want to live the way he wants us to live. We're going to spend our time with a loving God who wants the best for us. And you get a hint of that, well, more than a hint of that, in these verses. So if this feels like a list of commands, just look at verse 8. Promises a fulfilled life, now and forever. Verse 10 says, we have put our hope in the living God who saves those who believe in him. Verse 16 offers us this life of eternal safety. And so we devote ourselves to him. We watch out, we work out, and we wear out. And we do that because this is how Song of Solomon describes God's love. He says, my love, my lover is mine. He has taken me into his banquet hall and his banner over me is love. 